Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, last week we had such a great conversation with Stu Cook of CCR. And this week we are talking to another Woodstock veteran, singer-songwriter Henry Gross. So Henry's biggest hit is the one you're listening to here now, Shannon. It reached number six in 1976. It's a song he wrote about Beach Boy Carl Wilson's dead dog, if you can believe it. Unfortunately, that's really the only big you know, kind of noteworthy hit he had. But what's really fascinating is that Henry has never stopped recording. In fact, he's working on new music now, which is crazy to me. I mean, we, we talked to a lot of one-hit wonders on the show, and some of them have been able to kind of sit back and take it easy from their one hit. Some of them have not had that luxury. Henry has never really slowed down. He still has that hunger. In fact, he does a show now called One Hit Wanderer, where he tells the stories about some of his songs. It's really fascinating. Henry is a very, he's talkative, number one, but in, the, in a good way. He's got lots of insights on the music industry, creativity, even politics, faith. All of it is from his unique perspective, and I really, really appreciated that about him. The Woodstock connection comes from, if you didn't know this, Henry was the youngest performer at Woodstock. In 1969, he was 18 years old, and he was a member of Sha Na Na, who performed at Woodstock. And then he left them a year or two later, and he's embarked on his solo career that has never really ended. So, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. This is the man behind this song, Shannon, the indelible song. He called me from his home in Nashville. Okay, so I have to tell you a story about how I discovered you, and it's fairly long, so bear with me, and I hope you think this is fun. I, the more I think about it, there's a slight chance you might, it might make you angry. I hope that it doesn't. So, okay, so here's the deal. Three years ago, I'm on my lunch hour, and I wander into a record store in Boulder, Colorado. Right near the front of the store is the $3 and under record bin, okay? And that's, that's gold to me. Because that's the stuff that I think is really interesting. Where did these people go? Who are these people? Where do they go? And the, the magic to me of music is that 
you could put on one of these records that you've never heard of or heard before, and who knows what potential is in that record, you know? It could change your life. It could, your favorite song could be included on this record that you're not aware of. And I think that's really a really powerful force of music. Having said all that, I don't even have a record player. I don't collect vinyl because I don't trust myself that I wouldn't spend every dollar I have on it. So I just like to look. And this is before I have a podcast or anything. So I'm thumbing through this the discount bin, and I'm just loving the gold that I'm seeing in this bin. And the lady, there's only, I'm the only one in there. And the lady who is behind the counter says, you know, there's other stuff, a lot better stuff throughout the rest of the store. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to be right here. This is the stuff that makes this interesting to me. And I hold up the record that I'm ha- holding in my hand, and I was like, look, for instance, take this guy. Who knows where where is this guy now? And I don't I've always regretted that I didn't commit to memory what record I was holding up. All I remember is that the guy on the cover had a beard and he was wearing a green sweater and he uh, appeared to be walking or moving. It wasn't like a static photo. It was him kind of in movement and I think he was holding a guitar. So I'm like, take this guy, for instance. This guy probably sells insurance in Buffalo. Who knows where this guy is? But in in 1970-whatever, this guy had a, he had a burst of creativity that he wanted the world to hear. And he got a moment, and it's captured right here on this record, the, the emblem of his creativity, the evidence of it. I'm holding it in my hand 40 years later. Don't you think that's amazing? Wouldn't you think this guy that I'm holding in my hand would love to know that I'm having this moment with his record right now? And the lady's like, yeah, I, you're right, you're right. And I said, see, this is, what's, this is what matters to me. I want to know where this guy is. So I put the record back. My lunch hour is over. And about a year later, I start this podcast because I am so obsessed with this question. Who are these people and where do they go? I want to know. Cut to about a little over a year ago. I've had Robert White Johnson, our mutual friend, on the show. He was so great. And he and I are Facebook friends, and I'm on Facebook one night, and he posts something. My dear friend Henry Gross has won some award or something like that. I don't remember what it was. But I'm looking at his post, and I'm thinking, I have this weird feeling that that's the guy whose record I held up in that record store that one day. And I went in to do to research who Henry Gross was, and sure enough, it was you. And... I didn't. I had not connected the dots that you and Shannon and the hits and Shanana. I hadn't done all the all of that. I'm 43, so Shan, uh, Shannon. I was three years old at Shannon, so it's a little before my time, even though I knew it. Okay. But I just think it's interesting. So now here we are. I've done a hundred of these, and you're a guest on the podcast that you inadvertently inspired me to create in the first place because I was so fascinated with whoever the guy on this record was and of course that was your show me to the stage album anyway i hope you're not mad that i'm fairly new to your career and i hope you're not mad that you were in the three dollar bin at the record store but i think that's a really special story it's good i actually mr gross passed away during the length of that story (laughs) but he did leave a message for you (laughs) did he tell me to bug off is that what it was? Well, uh, no, it wasn't life. exactly that. It wasn't. He didn't use the word bug. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what I, thought. 
Unbelievable. Actually, I was a young man when you started this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I got I'm it. sorry. I mean, was that was that a? Um, my question is, was it a signed copy of my album? Because if you can find an unsigned copy, it's worth a fortune. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. The value goes down when you yeah. touched it or signed it. Yeah, exactly. If you can find oh, an unsigned man. copy, it's absolutely worth a fortune. That would have been the best yeah. two ninety nine I've ever spent in my life, right? Well, you know, who, who is to say? <laughs> Who's to say? Anyway, I think that's a really special story, and I'm, I hope you're okay with that. And here we are, three years later, I, it's having a, a lovely a story. Moment. I mean, okay, you know, good. I have, I have three CDs with 20 songs on each coming out in the next couple of months. Oh, my God. And I've done, I've done about 20, I mean, I've recorded about, I don't know, three, 300, 400 songs. And I love when people say to me, I love your song. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always think it's great. But actually, whatever people hear, I'm I'm blessed to have them here, and the fact that some people like this album or that album, you know, right. obviously, obviously, people were more focused on records. It was yeah. a part of the conversation of our youth. I mean, I'm 60, 65, but right. it's it was part of the it was the conversation in our youth. What band did you see? What record did you yeah. buy? And now, you know, it's it, now it's been so many, uh, you know, things with the internet. Yeah. We all know it's an old story. That sure. getting traction on it, even even the number one records that are on the radio are just niche. Oh and yeah. Ninety nine percent of the people haven't heard them and don't yeah. care. So yeah. it's a different business. So I understand where people attach significance to records, and also the, just the fact that a record was a large object you could hold, look at, right. you know. And, and a CD got smaller, and now an MP3 doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's just some electronic digital numbers. You know, that's packed with the sound of distortion. Yeah, uh, one guy, yeah. everyone trying to make their their little digital distortion louder than the other person's, yeah. and it's become this kind of um, crazy race, but race to the bottom. But you know, in, sure. a, certain, in, a, in, in a in a technical way, as far as I'm concerned, you know. It's, yeah, but, I know. But on the other hand, there's great music still being made, and there. You know, there are a lot of people that are still trying to be artists and are still writing full-time right. and recording and playing as much as we can, and I'm one of them, and I'm happy to be that. That's amazing. Uh, so have you been able to maintain a career doing nothing but music to pay your bills since late 60s, basically? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's incredible to me. And forgive me if this is too we, – we try to cover kind of the business side on this podcast because I think that's the part that – not everybody understands very well. Yeah, I asked you if you were with the government when you called. <laughs> I, this, I, very sensitively, I would imagine that Shannon has helped pay those bills over all these years. You know, but not it, that much, really. You know, really? Okay, that that's what I'm wondering. Really. Yeah, because all my records, I don't own my 70s work. I don't mm-hmm. own the publishing on of any of it or the recordings. I think I, I think the first one I owned was 1978. Love is the stuff. Love is the stuff. I don't own, you know, anything after 1978 I own, but I don't okay. own the stuff. All the all the you know the stuff people remember from ABC and A and M and Lifetime. Those are owned by someone. So so I I don't you know I I you know I, I haven't relied on that. You know, it's always a challenge, and it's always a miracle when people hire you to play a show, and 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 anybody turns up. It's always great. Yeah. You know, yeah. Actually, the path of not being a brand name 
it's very interesting and rewarding in its own way. I mean, you can't. Really? Yeah, it is. It is because most of, you know, unfortunately, and this makes me sad, people determine the worth of, of things totally by the value in, in dollars that they bring in. Yeah. And Chris yeah. Rock said a great thing. He said, you know, nobody knows the name of the guy who invented Viagra or the people that invented Viagra. Right. He said, you know, a trillion people use Viagra, but yeah. no one knows who invented it. But they know the name Pfizer because they make the money off it. Yeah, true. And true. the interesting thing is a lot of people have made a lot of money in, yeah. in, the, in the arts and entertainment, but they are not necessarily the people that impress me. You know, right. yeah, the Beatles made great records. Buddy Holly made great records. But so did lesser artists that pe a lot of people don't know that yeah. have brought great joy to those that, you know. How many people right. overall, if you, if you had a list of the most successful artists of all time, you know, would list Ola Tunji, who did Drums of Passion in 1960. Right. You know, and, and right. you, you might not know that because you might, but, he, but it was this rhythm, mu rhythm music that sold five million copies in 1960. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah. you know, but I bet you don't know who that is, but, I, but the, the grooves on that record, the rappers are sampling the wrong guy. Being a music aficionado and lover of all types of music, yeah. I, and, and you know, what people really think about music, you know, a lot of people in this country voted for Trump that aren't saying anything about it because it's, <laughs> you know, in some ways politically incorrect. Uh -huh. and, and in the same way, a lot of people loved Rush in the 70s mm. yeah. and didn't say it because they were trashed by every reviewer that sure. you could find. You know, it, it, somehow it was politically incorrect to like Rush. Well, right. you know, I, 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 was, I, I, I was kind of attracted to them always because I thought, sure. aside from the fact that they were amazing musicians, right. that, that a guy, you know, Neil Peart, who wrote Subdivisions and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Fly By Night, I think it was called. And, and yep. uh, you know, and, and I don't pretend a long... What did he say? I don't pretend a stranger is a long lost friend. Yeah. A stranger is a long. I mean, the guy writing that is worth listening to. Yeah. And so yeah. I really didn't get what all the venom was about. And right. so, if you're going to listen to media of any kind, you know, any of our media telling you anything, right? Whether it be about music or the news, <laughs> you're signing your own fate. That's true. You know? That's true. So it's up to you to, to, to decipher what's good and bad. I completely and, and, agree. Uh, and I've found, I mean, I've got, you know, I do collect vinyl. Oh, and do you? I, and, I, and I also collect CDs because, you know, though I, the sound of a CD is about a tenth as great as the sound of vinyl, it's mm. a million times better than an MP3. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you know, and it's easier so, in the car. You know, yeah. We go through all this trouble. Um, I go through all this, you know, with, and, and to make these records that are legitimate masters. I mean, and, and right. I spend my life savings on it and my... And, and whatever I make in income from concerts, you yeah. know, and, and gigs wherever they are, you know, and I do everything from, you know, big theater show. I'm, I'm next year. I'm doing sixty or seventy shows with Joe Brown in England. Just are you really? All I did. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, and we just go out, Joe and I. Last year, I mean, that's great. Mine, I, you know, I convinced him that he could do a solo tour because that's how I work. Sure. And he said. Oh no, mate! I can't do that. Well, we did it, and it was the most successful tour of his career, and he's seventy really? years old this year. Yeah. You go out so, with a full band, or is it just you with no, your guitar? No, just Joe and I. 
because That's amazing. my point is my my point to people about performing, and you know, I, I've got a little experience that tells me, it, you know, everybody has this perception that they want to hear a band. And that's mm. great. If you're having a dance party or you're outdoors and people want to jump around, you know, they want to hear some noise, that's great. And bands yeah. are wonderful. You know, yeah. that's why we make records with other musicians, because it's wonderful. Right. But if you can't go out with a piano or a guitar or, a, uh, you know, a hammered dulcimer or, 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 or whatever it is, or stand there at a mic and just do your lyrics, yeah. You've got nothing to you've got nothing. If it's your very songs true. are not a if your songs are not a conversation with the audience, you have no story to tell. True. And my point to Joe Brown, who's one of the great storytellers of all time and certainly uh, the, the the first rock and roller in England, is that if he doesn't have stories to tell, we all just better shut it down. <laughs> so he went out there and told <laughs> the stories and the two of us yeah. sat there and I brought him a bunch of songs he he didn't usually do. And we sang them together and played them together and tore those places up, you know, 1,200 feet. He couldn't believe it. And That's so, great. So the, my point was that, and, mm. if, and if people listen to this, and, and this is not a lecture, but it's, it's, it's true. If your show, whether you have 10 musicians on stage, and you have to visualize this, uh-huh. if your show is going out to the audience, displaying your greatness, you've got nothing. If your show is is you opening your arms and drawing your audience into you yeah. and into your soul, you don't need your guitar. You don't even have to sing. However you want to get that message across, you can do it. Yeah. And as a solo artist, you have only three options. Sing and play, sing and don't play, or play and don't sing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's right. all you've got. Yeah. You know, just like the opening act in a yeah. concert has only two options, mediocre lighting on stage or house lights on. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's, and so you, you learn, oddly yeah. enough, very often, I mean, so many people that I know that were headliners in the 60s and 70s, when they go out and play, all they are relying on are those two or three or four songs people might yeah. remember. Maybe they're, And, and they're, they haven't progressed from those songs. They haven't right. reinvented themselves. They have been living off those things, and you can see them on all these shows, and you can see them on this, and, and they're going to play the same. You know what songs they're going to play before you get there. Right. And and a lot of people want to hear that. Yeah. I'm not I'm not one of those people. When I go to see people, I want to hear what they're I, – I like the John Lennon button, be here now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious to know what people are doing now. Yeah. So, you know, for me, and it's been amazing that in some places – I started making my own records, you know, I'm putting them on my own label uh, in, what was it, 1990? Yeah. And as I say, as I say about my record company, not only am I the president, I'm a client as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can dive into the swimming pool with my record, and when you come out, it still plays, you know. Right, right. Dive swirling. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. I'm record club for men, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's hair club for men. Yeah, I remember it well. Things. Yeah. But so, so you know, that's my point is. To, yeah. An artist reinvents himself every day. A businessman sells a product <clears throat> that he takes it on his shelf or manufactures another ten thousand, and you can see that. And uh, you know, in there are artists that are still viable and very popular that fill yeah. arenas. Right. Some of them still make records every year or two because they're artists. 
Yeah. I'm not going to name them. We all know who they are. Others go out right. and play the record. The last time they made a record was 1975 or 70. Right. I mean, and they right. because there's no money in records. Yeah. Because they can't get their thirty thousand, thirty million dollar advance or whatever they right. get for making records. You know, at that level. So to them, to some people, some people are a work shoe, and some yeah. people are a Gucci shoe. And well, let me the ask Gucci you this: shoe has no place in 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 the art business. Now you, I mean, you're still pumping out music. You just mentioned a minute ago you have three albums with twenty songs each in just the pipeline. About. Yeah, it's just if you add them all up, one record has twenty six songs, one has nineteen, Goodness. and one has fifteen. Well, and if you go on Spotify, like a lot of the albums that you've put out the last ten, fifteen years are the same way. What impulse do you have, or what motivates you to continue down the album path? Is it that you don't really, you still feel you have something to say, and if well, of course. Twelve very people political. buy these albums, then so be it. I'm That's very, okay with you, or what? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't. I, I sell CDs to people that want to hear them in better, you know, quality. Yeah. If you want to hear my song high enough, sound unbelievable, you buy the CD, and it'll yeah. it'll blow it'll blow you away. If right. you want to hear, if you want you want to hear the skeleton, a record of the facts, you, you play it on Spotify. Yeah. But you know, the world's changing and it's going completely I mean, hopefully someday they'll open up broadband and you will be able to you know just listen when you're listening you'll be listening to a wave file instead of right. to seven the seven percent solution yeah is, yeah you know sherlock holmes yeah. and heroin you know what i mean right <laughs> that, which is not that far off you know but yeah. but how could you how could you be a, a person an artist or or living in this world and you know people everybody seems to have something to say Sure. You know, a lot of people, I mean, people have something to say. I mean, I try and stay, I'm a very political person, but I try and keep my politics out of my music. Okay. And and, and I 99.9% have always done that. Good. Um, and, and because I feel, I do have, you know, you weigh both sides. Yeah. I watch people that I admire come out and speak, and then I no longer admire them. And right. I watch Elvis Presley, who I admired the most, say, uh, sir, I'm an entertainer. I'd rather keep yeah. my opinions to myself. And so, and then there are those that say, well, every person just because they're an entertainer doesn't mean they can't have a political opinion. It's whatever road you want to go down. Sure. You know, sure. you know, there are people that have said very intelligent things, and then there are people that have called half the country deplorables right. because they don't they don't understand them. You know, you have to yeah. people. They're all our brothers and sisters. You know, that sure. people have different opinions. And yeah. you know when when a different opinion becomes a reason to insult somebody, uh, you know I don't really yeah. think that's a good yeah. idea for entertainers. Yeah, but it's their choice and it's their yeah. right, and, I, and I'm not questioning it. But yeah, you I me, stay out of it. you still feel you have something to say? If you don't have something to say in this society, which is in our True. country, which yeah, is being point. Up, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, but <laughs> I guess what I'm asking though is that the you know no offense, the new Henry Gross single is not going to be played on the radio very much and it's not going to be in there's no record store right there's no record store for it really to be bought in so does the does does it ever damper your enthusiasm to continue to be creative and put yourself out there knowing that it's a that it's going to be a limited you know a limited visibility on this good question best question i've been asked in a long time oh good thank you and 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 that's an important question for all artists everywhere. Probably uh-huh. the most important. And I refer I you so. 
With my answer, I refer you to to a movie uh, written by Carl Reiner, starring uh, John Denver and George Burns, called Oh God. I just watched that the other day. Okay. It was on okay. PCM. At the, so, at the, so here's the point, and there can be no greater point about art. Yeah. At the end of the movie, John Denver has lost his job. You know, um, he's he's he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life, and he said, and he says to George Burns beautifully. But what do we accomplish here? I lost yeah. my job, and and George Burns, who's playing God, <laughs> which yeah. is anything to say, he's playing God. But, right. um, George Burns says, Ah, there's a million jobs. You get another job. He said, But what did we accomplish? He said, You planted a few seeds, good seeds. Yeah. And so what I've tried to do, in in my at least for my part, why do I do it? What do I think about the fact that I'm I'm making this music? that I know people love when I, I mean, I just did gigs with Dr. John and ELO, you know, the orchestra and people really? in the last two weeks. And, and, and I, you know, I did a big charity thing the other night, uh, Sunday night that raised over a million dollars for abused children. Wow. Good a, for you, man. So I'm doing different things and I'm, I'm active and, yeah. and I play, you know, I, 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 like I say, I'll be doing five months of shows in England next year, as well as, you know, playing my usual shows that I do, I'm, I, I am lucky enough to still get, you know, because I have no agent. And the point is, the difference between a guy playing an arena to 20,000 people and me uh-huh. playing a show to 200 people or 100 people or three, one night at 1,000, whatever, 2,000, yeah. there's no difference. I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the act of performing my music and bringing what I feel is joy to people. I try and, right. my, my, I keep my music positive. I don't get into, you know, I don't, Right. I, mean, I write songs like "Let's Open a Bottle and Wine." You know. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I try and bring joy to. It's not all jokes. I have a song called "The Night You Picked Up the Check." I saw man eating fire. Another one walking the high wire. Saw an honest politician. Some dude with X-ray vision. But the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Began to genuflect. There stood still, the sea was parted. Love came to the broken hearted. Nature's balance seemed to be upset. The night you picked up the check. Some people throw down. Oh, that's right. Atheists began to genuflect. The earth, the, the sea was parted. Love came to the brokenhearted. Nature's balance seemed to be upset the night you picked up the check. Because I submit right. to you that even in a cave somewhere in, you know, you know, in the middle of Afghanistan, there was yeah. a guy with Bin Laden who never paid for the hummus when right. it came. You know, <laughs> so, you know, you have if if you can make people laugh. And you can yeah. bring a smile, and then you can sing some some songs very close to your heart, and temper a balance between the painful and the joyful, with yeah. it, with it, you know leaning greatly towards the joyful. Yeah. I never understood the change in the rules from when you know the music that I adored when I grew up, which was doo wop and uh, uh-huh. and positive songs. You know, uh, you know, I only have eyes for you. 
to where you had to look like an like a guy who just came out of Folsom prison. Right. <laughs> and and you had to be, you know, in some way demonically inspired. Yeah. And I never understood the joy of ugliness. And right. maybe that, maybe that's a character flaw in me. I don't think so. So Well, I, think, I don't know. I think that's well, what makes they up made your an brand. Industry. You know? The industry, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I actually did a song. I wrote a song. I won't say which one is an experiment once. And all the people that subscribe to a, a particular political persuasion loved it. And um, I wrote it to prove the point that it was so simple to manipulate those people. Interesting. And I never told people about it. I won't say what it is now. People that know me and know my music could probably make a good guess. But okay. it, it, it was recorded many times by different artists. And to me, it was just funny. To me, it was it was a comedy song to me because, you know, I am just to, to you know, I, I'm a believer that, you know, really there's no difference in the political parties. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I lean I, that way, too. Yeah, I just think there's one political party. It's called We, we Got the Dough. We yeah, spent the money. Exactly. The rest, of it's yes. the rest of it's just a game played on yeah. people. So that's just where I come from. So, But it's just so interesting that I could, even in my own little way, create something that everybody got on board on and told uh -huh. me how great it was. And I just had a laugh, man. I just said, you know, yeah. the people that I knew, I went, well, if that doesn't prove it, nothing. Yeah. Else. The because song was confirmation bias. You don't need a big organization. You don't have to run a, a big government spy agency or whatever. Yeah. You can just write a song and 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 the lemmings will fly. Yeah. Because yeah. because they're not thinking and they're not looking. And you know, you, you, you don't need me to tell you this. You had George Carlin. You know, you yeah. and, and eight billion other people. And sadly they weren't wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, True. to me I just the music's all part of it. If you give yeah. up on yourself, what are artists do you say, oh, I'm wondering what happened to these people? Well, if if they did it and they have no money if artists did their art and now they're broke and they're working, that's uh -huh. not a sad thing. They're working no. a job. To, to no. be an artist is a privilege. What are we, politicians? Right. Will, we get a, right. will we get the job for six months and then we get a pension for the next 300 years? Right. It's a disgrace. It's a national yeah. disgrace. To, you yeah. Take your shot as an artist. You know, business right. and things things happen in a certain way. It's, a, it's a, an intangible. Why does one guy blow up and be huge? Why does some, why does some great artist that are really phenomenal. Why is their audience smaller than the, the you know, why is Iron Man a bigger movie yeah. than, than, you know, than All About Eve? Yeah. It, it's because there are fewer people yeah. that see the beauty and there are more people that are easily distracted by things blowing up and cars crashing. I agree. Yeah. You know, more people yeah. remember, more people remember the car chase scene from Bullet with Steve uh -huh. McQueen that uh -huh. will ever remember the death scene in Camille. That's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. So, so, yeah. the, so the the point is, if you're going to judge yourself, by, if, if Randy Newman's going to judge himself by whether or not he has as many fans as Katy Perry, he'll slit his yeah. wrists. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you you just need to you just need to you go just soldier on. Soldier on. That's what life yeah. is. Yeah. And, and you do really, what you want to do. Yeah. Exactly. And George Burns' words at the end of Oh God is a great, you know, it's a movie. But Carl yeah. Reiner's always been always been ahead of the curve. He was yeah. with a 2,000-year-old man with Mel Brooks. And he's still, that thing, yeah, it's a corny movie. Yeah, it's a Hollywood movie. Oh, it's but a great movie. But that doesn't mean there isn't, there isn't something very true in it. Yeah, there's a lot of profundity in that movie. Yeah.
I agree. And so that line to me is the big line. You know, you planted some good, you planted some seeds, and they're good seeds. Yeah. So I try and make whether or not I'm not saying that I'm any kind of, you know, I'm not saying, hey, Henry Gross, oh, oh, he's, he's sure. a genius. You know, it's all BS. But <laughs> right. the, but the fact is, I give a hundred. I worked a hundred percent. I mean, you look at the output that I've done yeah. in the last. I mean, who puts out records with twenty songs and people? They're really thought through songs. They're That's what I'm fun. saying. Your output is amazing at this stage. Well, yes, because because I didn't have that output in the seventies. Because in the seventies, it was a race for fame. Mm. It was a race for you know. I mean, you, you know, in the seventies, it was about whether or not you, you you were emaciated looking and had long yeah. hair and the correct right. guitar and, and you looked. And you created an image. It was really just the way it is today with branding. You know, it was yeah. the beginning of rock and roll branding. And, well, did you, know, you fall into that, or did you feel like obviously. you were trying to push back on that and not get sucked in? No, I was. I was part of it. I was you were. So that. even even you in the seventies were aware that you're playing this game too. I mean, who wouldn't be well, right trying to kind of grab the brass I wrote, ring? I always tried to write songs. I wrote the songs about the things I was going through. The reason people love plug me into something so much and these songs like One More Tomorrow because it was uh-huh. about leaving someone you love to chase to chase success, you know? Yeah. every young person goes through and that's why people relate to it and that's why on my Facebook thing today some fan of mine put up an ad for it and a lot of people are responding to it because it struck a chord back then and whether or not the label that was you know the first album I did at A&M whether or not they caught on to it quick enough or realized they should have pushed that instead of Mm. whatever they pushed that week you know yeah yeah it's an interesting question because I mean if you think about it Tommy James, who I adore, you know, yeah. I love Tommy James. I thought what this guy did was bring rock and roll, real rock and roll on the radio, on the AM radio when it was almost impossible to do. Agreed. And, and I thought he was great. But he wrote this little book. It's really a small book. It's almost a pamphlet. But, you know, he was signed to Morris Levy, who never paid him on his records and all this. But, you know, as he got older, Tommy James realized something. Yeah, Morris Levy, you could, people, I'm not defending Morris Levy. You know, I'm not, it's not my job to do sure. that. Sure. Um, you know, and he he did some. I'm sure he did some bad things, and I'm sure he did some good things. Nobody's one-dimensional, sure. and maybe the bad outweighed the good. You know, you ask some people, they tell you that. I don't know him, so right. I can't say. But Tommy James was with you know Roulette or, or that late records uh-huh. Morris, right. and every record that he put out was a hit. 
Yeah. And now you could say, well, because Morris had these guys and they controlled the radio and they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. But Tommy James used to complain that he never got paid. And finally, so he, he, he was so frustrated at not getting paid that he left the label. And he went to another label. He went to Epic Records. And they had, they, and he made a single and they had their meeting, you know, Monday morning. And his was not a priority. And for the first time in his life, his record didn't even chart. Oh, wow. And, and he realized something. And it's in his book that, you know, Tommy James is a millionaire many times over. And, you know, and so was Morris Levy when he died. So right. everybody, you know, I look at myself and I say, okay, you know, did you get everything? You know, every artist feels that they were underpaid by their record company. But the point is, we're talking now. Yeah. So, you know, you could say, well, you know, when you're younger, you think, oh, those guys are ripping me off. I think everybody has an overvalues their self-worth, and I try and temper That's what smart. I think. You seem to have embraced the one-hit wonderness of your career, because I think you go out, no. you were talking about the shows you put on, and I, what keeps coming to mind is, I think a crowd, whether you're a full band or acoustic on a guitar or whatever, they want to feel like they're connecting with you. That's it. And it sounds if like you giving... – yes, and it sounds like you've embraced that. I, I haven't seen you live, but it sounds like from what I've read and everything, you go out and you tell the stories behind your songs and you engage with the people. That's what they want. They want to come away feeling like they've connected with you and had, had a unique well, experience with you. I do that. I do a show called One Hit Wanderer. Yeah, um, that you know that that's a, that's an actual scripted play. Oh, with visuals. Really? Oh, and interesting. It's, really, it's, it's about me and my dad, and and it's, you know, and through my story, I believe me, I'm telling your story. Yeah. And it's and people are shocked because they think of these kind of rock and roll shows with people talking about, you know, but mine is very different. Mine is an actual play where the songs advance the story. And you know the the lyrics and the songs are a continuation of the dialogue. So yeah. it's not it's not like where most of these you know. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy them, but where and then I wrote this and then then I wrote this and then I wrote this. You know, it's right, those kinds right. of which are really just just travelogues through catalogs. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so so to me, my show is more. It's an actual little ninety minute play. But I also try and you know, it's not so much that I tell the stories of the songs and and communicate with the audience, it's that I tell that the stories, the songs themselves are stories. In fact, one of the new CDs that I have coming out now is going to be called Stories I've Lived to Tell. Ah. Oh. And, and the other, another one's called Mixed Messages. Because one thing that I did do, which did not help me become a big star, was my records, I, I always... If I wrote a rock and roll song, I didn't want to repeat myself. You know how right. you know how when you used to buy records in the seventies or sixties, there'd be one or two good songs, and the rest uh -huh. of them would sound like that song, but they weren't as good. Right. So right. I always tried to. If I wrote a rock and roll song, the next thing I'd write would be a jazzy tune, and then after mm -hmm. that, I'd write something like Simone. Simone, oh I. You try not to show that you leave me on my own someday.
Okay. You know, I, I would try and expand musically all the time and not repeat myself. That's a great detriment to a career or was in the days of formatted radio because they would say, well, Henry Gross, is he a country artist? Is he a rock and roll? Right. He's got Plug Me In for right. something. But on Plug Me In for something, he's got Evergreen, which sounds like a country song. I want to tell you that I could really love you, but I, I can't seem to look you in the eye. Because I've known all along that you're a big city woman deep inside. I want to know that country life. Evergreen, evergreen, you are my heart's true delight. With your pine softly whispering down the night. Evergreen. I'm crazy, and my boss just says I'm lazy, but you know I got to leave them all behind, cause those leaves are turning color, and I need a little summer, or those honeycombs to keep me satisfied, evergreen, evergreen, you are my heart's true delight, when you're high Yeah. Only one that's a ballad. What is? Who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. If they can't put you in a category, it's much easier to sell Metallica because we all know what they do. Yeah, and, and there's a and lifestyle so if, there too. Right. If you want to see, if you want that experience, you go to Metallica. Yeah. You go. You know. You go to. I. You know. You go to those people that do that. You go to Black Sabbath. You know yeah. what they're doing, just from their titles. But, yeah. but I never defined that for people, and it's one of the joys of my life. And Good. I pay the price for it. That is so interesting because I've been diving into your catalog so much lately. In fact, as you, as I said, I'm fairly new to you as a fan, so I've been trying to kind of get as much in in the last year or so as I can. And I've noticed that same thing. It'll go from a, a rocker to a ballad to a country song to a jazzy song to a ragtime or whatever. And I've one thought question. that. Yeah. One question. Are they good songs? Yes, because if that's they what are, I mean. Yes. If they are, then I've, because I had, I had sold probably 7 million records with albums and singles, and then I moved to Nashville, and people said, well, what are you going to Nashville for? Well, I wanted to write with great writers, so I wrote yeah. with Roger Cook and Ralph Murphy and you know, Tommy Rocco and great, great writers that wrote a lot of hit records. I mean, yeah. God knows nobody wrote more of them than Roger Cook. Yeah. And these guys became my buddies and have been for the last 30 years. That's amazing. And, they were, and I learned how they thought about songwriting. And I learned as, as much as I had sold records, I sold records because I was in line in a place where I had an opportunity to get my yeah. records heard. And back yeah. then, they only put out, all the major labels combined only put out a 1,000 records a year. So you had a one in a 1,000 oh chance of being yeah. heard. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, now, you know, these... CDs have become people's personal business cards. Right. And 99% of the time someone gives you a CD, you just you leave it on your bureau for a couple of weeks, and then, you, then it somehow winds up in the trash. Yeah. And so because you know it isn't going to be good. Yeah. You know, the one, the one great thing is everybody thinks that you need, you know, you need a skill to perform open-heart surgery, but 
in a sense, music is, is heart surgery, isn't it? But, but yet True. everybody can do it without any, yeah. without any musical education or, or study of lyrics. And, I, you know, I talk to you. How many people come up to me and say, man, would you listen to my song? And I go, you know, okay. And, yeah. But they don't have a song. Yeah. They've got a little piece of dribble. They don't even understand what they're talking about. Right. It's like it's a commitment, man. It's like anything else. They say yeah. 10,000 hours, try 10 billion hours. You know, I write jokes. I write songs. And, and you know, I only made the one-hit wander thing as a play on one-hit wonder sure. to make a joke. I mean, I actually yeah. had quite a I mean, meet me on my cover of Meet Me on the Corner was a hit. Um, you know, Springtime Mama sold nearly a million records. Oh, I know. Today, I love Springtime Mama. Number one record for six months today. So, yeah, uh, right. am I a one-hit one wonder? Yeah, whatever. Who one cares, big hit, man? maybe, but you had other stuff. I, yeah, I'm happy to be. I mean, Springtime Mama wasn't a big hit. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it, it, yeah. it's like to me, whatever people want to say, I'm glad they're saying it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Speaking of things people say, I gotta, I gotta include this because I was talking with Robert White Johnson uh, uh, about you and he I said do you have any fun stories or any anything you want me to make sure I bring up and he told me about he's mentioned this a couple times about the first time he wrote with you in a an office somewhere I think back in 1986 and whatever song you were you two were writing you were getting so into it that I guess you jumped up on a coffee table and started doing like a Pete Townsend maybe it was the you know the windmill arms on your guitar or whatever but there's nothing he's so impressed with that moment that he's never forgotten that well, you know, the thing is, with me, I'm either in or I'm out, yeah. which is a dangerous way. It's actually not the healthiest. I don't recommend it for everyone. But right. that's how I've always been, and that's how I've lived. I'm either, you're either in or you're out with me. It's like, you know, you want to write a song. Let's, there's nothing else in the world but that moment. I do a thing, and, and people say to me, well, you know, how do you get up in front of all these people by yourself with a guitar? Like I open... I played a thing called Waterfest last summer. There were about 5,000 people. I was on right before uh, Kansas. We used to share management at the 70s. Okay. And so I was opening for Kansas. People asked me, how are you going to do that? How do you go out there like that? So relaxed. Uh-huh. And, and it's really simple. I have, you know, because I'm old and in the way, I keep uh-huh. a lyric book on stage on a music stand, way on the side. If it, if okay. The great thing about being old is that, you know, in the old days, I, you know, it, it, now the further, it, I can't see anything up close, but if it's across the street, I can read it. <laughs> so, nobody knows that you're, nobody knows that you're looking at right. the lyrics once in a while because 
the, I keep the music stand so far away they can't see it. Uh-huh. So, so the, but the the thing is, in the beginning, in the front of my songbook, I have a letter that I got from um, the military describing the demise of my good friend who I worked with in my father's drugstore, a guy called Joe Russo in Brooklyn. And he was killed in Vietnam in 1968. Mm. And I read that. I read, I, even though I know it by heart, how, you know, the story of what happened. Yeah. I read it, I read it out loud, you know, in, in private, uh-huh. before uh-huh. I go out. And, and I ask myself, is there anything in this world, anywhere in this world, I would rather be at this moment? Yeah. Because Joe Russo's, in a sense, died so that I could live this, Amazing life of being of being able to do art and entertain yeah. people at whatever yeah. level I've achieved. And right. so I asked myself that question, and I promise you, the day it, I, it hits me, I'd rather be taking a walk in the park. I will never do this. I will be That's done, amazing. and I will hang up my skates. That's and, amazing. And it's, it's a great motivator, man. Yeah. Because people are so self-involved. Yeah. I've seen people given this great gift. And go up on stage and play five songs and cop this attitude of that, whatever their whatever yeah. their sickness of of du jour is. Yeah. And they and they bring that they they spread that disease of of obnoxia on yeah. on people who have done nothing but are guilty only of the c- crime of being dumb enough to support them. How's that? For right. You? Right. But, you know. And so to me, it's a gift, which is by the yeah. way the name of my favorite movie by W. C. Fields. 1935, Universal. Okay. Anyway, so to me, the, the amazing gift is that we are able to perform, which goes back to my thing I said before to tie this up, that it doesn't matter if there's 10 people or 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. You've shaken their hand. Yeah. I'm, gonna do, I'm going to give you everything I have. I did right. two songs at a charity show the other night. I was as wasted after I did those two songs as I am after a two-hour <laughs> show in Memphis to, 200 people that know every word. Right. Because you it gave doesn't it your all. matter, man. We're yeah. only here. We're here. We're not even, you know, you, you think, you name the star, whoever you want to name, Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, whoever people sure. think is, whatever they think, it's, you're here for not even a blip on the radar in time. Yeah. And and people that that become so full of themselves that they think they speak for everyone, yeah. Because they, you know, Otis Blackwell wrote, too much love, drive a man insane. Yeah. And, and they fall to fire, you know, Jerry Lee. Right. But that's a great truth. Yeah. And so you begin to think you speak for everybody. Well, I always say to these people, you know, that, that say to me, well, aren't you sad that your thing didn't happen bigger? And I say, you know, tell me everything you know about Rudy Valley. Yeah. You know, tell me everything yeah. you know about Elmo Lincoln. Who played yeah. the first version of Tarzan in 1918? Well, they don't know what I'm talking about. And my point right. is, these people were stars. I mean, Rudy Valley was the biggest star in America. People don't even know who he is. Right. So this is all BS. You know, I don't begrudge a guy who looks at this situation. By the way, to clarify something I said earlier, there are artists that continue to create because that's what they need to do. That's what I need to do. That's what other artists. We know who they are. Need to do to keep right. trying to create, and I applaud that. Right. But I don't disparage people who say, 
well, I don't want to sit and write songs all day long if I can't right. sell them and no one's going to hear them. Right. Because yeah. maybe they're smarter than I am. Maybe they're and maybe by using their time to maximize profit, right? They're finding joy in it. And who the hell yeah. am I to judge? Right. So I'm right. Not, I'm just saying this is what okay. works for me. I just want to make amazing. that clear. Yeah. I'm not putting another guy it. down for it. If he wants to go no. out and play his same three songs for nine for the rest of his life, yeah, um, that's okay. Maybe he understands the reality of the situation because right. people do say to me, I love your song. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. As though I wrote no others. Yeah, and so yeah, maybe he's smarter than I am. I just don't, if, if that's the case, I choose not to be educated about that right, fact. Right, right, I just okay. want to continue to write. you got to tell me about Woodstock. The gig on you is that you're the, you were the youngest performer at Woodstock. That's an answer to a trivia question. I just spoke with someone else who performed at Woodstock, Stu Cook of Creed's Clearwater Revival. I want to know what your experience of Woodstock was being with Sean Anand. Yeah, well, my experience of Woodstock was fantastic. I tell this story in One Hit Wanderer as part of the story, and then the way I've worded it is, you know, I, um, it's fabulous in the show. But to cut to the chase of it, we drove all night long Saturday night and talked our way through, you know, countless roadblocks. Uh -huh. And we got there about nine, we got to the Holiday Inn in Fernwood at nine o'clock in the morning, which was, we didn't have rooms there, but that's where we were meeting to be, hang, so we were going to hang out there until they brought us to the stage to play, which right. was supposed to take place early in the afternoon on Sunday. Okay. So we, we'd been up all night, and when I got to the lobby of the, room, of the hotel, the first person I saw when I walked in was Jimi Hendrix holding the cord of Jack Daniels. Oh, my God. And so, you know, and of course, I knew Jimmy. Well, uh -huh. I, not of course, but I did know him because I had yeah. been introduced uh, years before to him by a mutual friend called Velvet Turner, okay. uh, who who I sat next to in high school. I, he actually looked like Jimmy's twin. Oh, really wow. Really brilliant guy and a lovely man, and I, I, I believe he's no longer with us. Anyhow, Jimmy also, because when Shannon and I played at the Steve Paul scene, um, Jimmy came down all the time to see us. He loved us. And so, okay. Wow. So I knew, knew him pretty well, you know, and in, in, in fact, I asked Jimi Hendrix the ultimate lame-o question that you should <laughs> never ask anybody like that at risk of being seen as a fan rather than as a friend. Okay. I asked, when we were sitting alone in the Steve Paul scene little dressing room under the staircase, I said to him, hey, man, what kind of guitar strings do you use? <laughs> as really? Though that, as though that would help me play like him. What a jacket. Oh. Anyway, so he opens his strat case and takes out all the strings that are in there and hands them to me and said, these, you have them. Really? And, yeah, for those of you who want to be educated by this broadcast, they were Dan Armstrong super strings. Eight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> y wow. string was, a, was an .008. Just okay. so you know... And Dan Good. Armstrong was on LaGuardia Place in Greenwich Village. He had a repair place. He sold guitars, wow. things like That's that. Amazing. Actually, Jimmy Ryan from the Critters used to work there. He's oh, now in the wow. Hitman, the wonderful Jimmy Ryan, amazing guitarist from Carly Simon and all these other records. Anyway, so too much information. No, that's great. Um, too much detail. And, no, uh, this is the detail I want. This is it. That's what so I'm anyway, saying. So anyway, so I, so I met Jimmy, and, and I got, um, shall we say in the British sense, pissed with him uh -huh, and uh -huh. by 10 o'clock in the morning I was delirious 
when a guy taps me on the shoulder and says he wants to take me to the stage. So I say so long to Jimmy, and I, as we get out around the side of the hotel, I'm surprised to see a military-style helicopter sitting there. Now, at that time in my life, flying, you know, flying was my second favorite thing. Mm. Everything else was tied for first. And uh-huh. so, <laughs> I, got so it. I get into this I get into this helicopter, which if you've never been in one, it goes straight up. And then he tilts the chopper so that you know, the, I was in there with some, you know, some other musicians, nobody from Shanana, but a couple of musicians I knew uh, that I'd met and, and some strangers, and then he tilts the chopper so we can see the half million people down below. That's amazing. And it was the most uh, amazing sight I'd ever seen, and I and I would have been amazed. It was an incredible sight, and I would have been amazed except for the fact that the door was wide open and a couple of us almost fell out. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah, you ever look at those pictures of the choppers in the Woodstock movie? The doors were open. So he tilted the thing. Nobody was strapped in. Nobody was in a seat. We were just in there. And so um, (laughs) the pilot took one look at me and, you know, you know, was I nervous? The pilot took it, you know, one look Uh at me and took us straight back down when we started. Uh Wow. (laughs) So then... I go back into the lobby. This is all true, and it's hard to believe, but it's true. So I go back into the lobby. Jimmy's still there. He sees I'm upset. And he, he asks me, to, I tell him what happened, and he busts out laughing. has no sympathy at all because he, uh-huh. he was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne, where he actually broke his ankle, by the way. And that yeah. Got out of the arm. So I didn't, you know, this, this is news to me. So, we, so he says, but have a drink. It'll calm you down. So I'm already <laughs> drunk. Now uh-huh. I'm really gone. And about an hour later, a guy taps me on the shoulder and says, your car is here. So I go outside, and there it is. You know, yeah. I wobble out of the lobby, and there's a 1958 Cadillac with a driver. So this is like, this is more my speed. So I'm in the car. We're just about to drive away at an eighth of a mile an hour because there's 300,000 people there. Uh-huh. You know, when the door pops open and a guy slides in next to me, and he's got round orange sunglasses and a big beard, and he, he gives me that this smile of joy, and I recognized him immediately. Because I was drunk, and as I say in the show, I said, wait a minute, I know you. You're Jerry Grateful, lead guitarist with regards to your dead. <laughs> so anyway, Jerry it is grinning from ear to ear because he can see I am blotto. From uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so, you know, he offers me something to smoke. <laughs> oh, sure. Now... I'll just cut to the chase. Between Jimmy's hooch yeah. and Jerry's hemp, I was hallucinating. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, my God. And so it was a great day. And yeah. I, to tell you how great it was, a friend of mine from my first band when we played in the Catskill Mountains was working as a security guard backstage, a guy named Carl Fisher. And mm. I didn't talk to him until maybe 10 years ago. And he told me, I told, I was talking to him about Woodstock. And I told uh-huh. him, yeah, I spent three hours in a car with Jerry Garcia trying to get to the stage. And he said, three hours? He said, you spent the whole day and most of the night hanging with just you and Jerry. Really? And you don't remember and said, this? And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I, he said, are you, and he said are, you, are you kidding me? Yeah. He said, you, you know, and, and that just it goes to show you uh, the power of what Mr. Garcia had in the pocket yeah, of his enemy. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so, amazing. Yeah, if anyone's yeah, going to have the best stuff, it's got to be him, right? Don't you think that's a story I would have bragged about? <laughs> of course. For, for 30, for 50 years? <laughs> you know, the fact is, yeah. I didn't remember it. 
yeah. until I was told this by a guy who had no interest in lying to me. He's an that old is dad. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, it was an amazing experience, and I could Good. go on and on about it, but, you know. Cool. It, you know, if, if people come and see One Hit Wanderer or book yes. it. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, I mean, every gig I get is like a miracle. That's amazing. And Good for you. You know, two years ago, my wife said to me, you know, you really need to go out and do these, do you, what you do. Because I had spent the previous 20 years writing and recording and, and reinventing myself. Because sure. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go out and play the same songs I'd been playing in the 70s. I didn't, yeah. I, you know, I, I, even though I accept the fact that, that one day it's going to say, you know, Henry Gross is dead, Volvo for sale, you know, right. writer of Shannon and founder <laughs> yeah. of Sean You know, exactly. there's nothing I can do about that. They're not yeah. going to know the song high enough. Everybody's telling me I'm guilty of a felony I took somebody's melody and put it in my song I admit I'm lazy and my memory might be hazy But I'd never be so crazy cause I still know right from wrong Been high enough to see over the mountain Been high enough to fly above the rain Been down so low, stopped in from the fountain other work. Yeah. They're not going to know my song Heaven. They're You're not going right. to know those things. They're, they're going to miss that. Yeah. And so I get it. But you know, I, I refer you back to, to you know, the, the John Denver and George Burns. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. planting you know, seeds. And, and it's really the thing. You, that's right. And, and yeah. you must believe. And you look at anybody that does anything creative, whether or not, you know, no matter how cynically you want to take show business, it's all based on faith. Yeah. And faith is a beautiful thing. And, you know, not to lecture anybody who gets weird, but there are evil forces out there too. And faith uh-huh. is a beautiful thing. And it seems to be very popular these days in, in pop culture to mock faith. Right. And, and I'm not naming any particular religious group or anything like sure. that. I'm just saying faith. Yeah. It's a non-religious truism. Yeah. And you, when you pick up a guitar or you get up in the morning and you get out of bed, it's faith that gets you to do it. Otherwise, yeah. you would be you would be immobilized by true. fear and depression. That's very true. Yeah. And so to me, you have to have that faith. And that is the beauty of Carl Reiner's movie and the brilliance yeah. of, his, of what he wrote. Because yeah. otherwise, it's just another dopey, manipulative Hollywood comedy. Very true. Yeah. Well, well, Henry, I gotta God. go. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I am so grateful that you talked to me. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, I've been wanting man. to do this for a year and a half. And like I said, we talk about you talk about you never knowing, and 
uh, planting seeds? Who knew when you did show me that, not that I am anything at all, but 40 years later, just picking up your album in a record store inspired me to do something in, in creative in my own way. I'm not a songwriter, but this is how I have chosen to express myself, and it's to get to know people like you whose stories don't get told as often, and that's really important well, to John, me. Well, John, thank you. Thank you. And remember, too, don't, don't, you know, don't run yourself down. You know, don't put yourself yeah. down because you asked me the most important question anybody could ever ask an artist. And the answer is, the question was, why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, why if it's not going to make money and, you, and, and, and possibly no one will hear it? Yeah, well, because well, you're compelled to. That's always the dilemma. And that, yeah. and that was, but that was a real possibility in the, in the 70s and in the 60s, too. There was yeah. no guarantee that the gatekeepers were going to pick you. True. You had to believe yeah. in yourself. And yeah, that is what people need to do is believe in themselves yeah. and not yeah. not believe in leaders. Like Dylan said, don't follow this guy or that guy. And don't mm-hmm. listen to people on television to tell you what to think. You know, use your listen to yourself. Listen to, listen to the sound of your own heartbeat. There you have it. Henry Gross. Funny guy, right? You could tell. I mean, I you could tell that he's kind of the life of the party. I really enjoyed it. And he, yeah, he's a talker, but he's full of really interesting insights into a lot of different things. I really appreciated his perspective. He mentioned there at the end a song he recorded recently called Heaven. That's what we're going to play here at the end. Unfortunately, it's about his now deceased wife, but uh, it's a beautiful song. And I just thought I would let you guys hear it. There's so much more to Henry Gross than Shannon. Which is a great tune as well, but I hope you can, you decide you want to dig in and learn a little bit more about the guy. And like I said, this was a real full full circle moment for me, considering he he kind of inadvertently or indirectly inspired this podcast to even exist. So thank you, Henry, for talking to me. So next week we are keeping it in the '70s. In fact, we're going back even a little bit further. Um, an amazing woman whose career goes back to the early 60s, girl groups, migrates into the 70s into things like punk and glam, blues. She's done it all. Fascinating lady next week. Hope you'll come back for that next week, next Tuesday. Thank you to Yan, the man, for putting everything together as always. Thanks, Yan, for everything you do. And guys, here's the business. Um, If you have not already and you're a regular listener, please go into iTunes and write us a review real quick, good or bad, I don't care. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can like our Facebook page and keep in touch with us that way. You can send me a message on there or you can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. If there's somebody that you would like to see on this show, give me an idea of who, who that might be and I'll try and track them down. Or you can find us at the Hustle Pod on Twitter. All right? Thanks, everybody. We will see you next Tuesday. It's only just beyond the stars